Holly came from Miami, FLA. Hitchhiked away across USA. Plucked her eyebrows on the way, shaved her legs, and then he was a she. She says, Hey, babe, take a walk on the wild side. Said, Hey, honey, take a walk on the wild side. Everybody's darling But she never lost her head Even when she was given head She says, hey babe Take a walk on the wild side Said, hey babe Take a walk on the wild side And the colored girls go Do 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 here and a hustle there New York City is the place where they said hey babe take a walk on the wild side I said hey Joe take a walk on the wild side Sugar Pump Fairy came and hit the streets looking for soul food and a place to eat Went to the Apollo, you should have seen him go, go, go. They said, hey, sugar, take a walk on the wild side. I said, hey, babe, take a walk on the wild side. All right. Ha. Jackie is just speeding away. She was Jim Dean for a day Then I guess she had to crash Valium would have helped that patch I said, hey babe Take a walk on the wild side I said, hey honey Take a walk on the wild side And the colored girls say Do, 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 do his uh, 
Walk on the Wild Side, the national anthem. <clears throat> Some people claim of gay people in America. When one group of working people <clears throat> get some more freedom to be who they are, when they react against institutionalized violence and oppression, every working person is enhanced. Last week, of course, was the Gay Day Parade. <clears throat> celebrating the Stonewall incident where gay men and transvestite transvestite uh, fought back against the police police for so many years for as long as America <laughs> I'm sure has had laws and lawmen police people in authority go around to bars they know where most of the people are gay and they hassle people they arrest them they beat them up they exploit them they treat them with disgust so on June 28th I believe it was 1969 Police raided a bar, the bar called Stonewall. They said that the owner hadn't paid his charges. Uh, um, they went in and doing their usual thing, beating people up, hassling them, ridiculing them, um, berating them, hurting them to their friends. Well, the people, people started leaving the bar. Same old story. Here we go. You know, okay, let's just get out of here and go somewhere else or go back into the shadows where society wants us to stay. But they didn't. A coalition of... of gay people of transvestites white latina fought back and word spread through the neighborhood that there was something going on at the stonewall bar something was going to happen this is 1969 we were used to people fighting back in all walks of life So they fought back. So what they did was they barricaded the police into the bar. They surrounded the bar. And uh, if police tried to come out, they were greeted with, you know, showers of, of garbage and pieces of things, anything you could throw at the police. Finally, a larger police detachment arrived and <clears throat> rescued their colleagues. <clears throat> but the day is celebrated now as a day when people, gay people 
L LGBT people first fought back and started to create a movement of their own. Lou Reed, anyway. This is the Labor and Love Show. Sorry for the long introduction. This is the B, and we are at Mutiny Radio on the corner of 21st Street and Mission. And this is the Labor and Love Show, the show where we tell you how it is. Some people get money they didn't work for. That means a lot of other people work for money they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, at the negotiating table, you're probably on the menu. And never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. Okay, I hope you had a good week and good work. Welcome. We started out there with Bob Dylan, 20 years of schooling, and they put you on the day shift. Some people call it a proto-rap. I don't know. Maybe if uh, Dylan had grown in this way, he would have taught, laid down a sort of a white, white-based rap, a radical rap or whatever. You know, Tengo Miedo and Nadia was a a tape of a meeting of of the United Farm Workers in 1966. You know, Tengo Miedo a Nadie, a Nadie, no Tengo Miedo. I'm not afraid of anyone. Eventually, we're going to win. They were chanting and singing. And third, of course, Lou Reed of the Velvet Underground with his walk on the wild side. Listen to uh, a speech given just this week. See if we can get it up here. This is a speech given by a young man named murder of young African Americans on the street. Let's see what he's got to say. As is all over the country, the activists, the civil rights attorneys, the struggling parents, the families, the teachers, the students that are realizing that a system built to divide and impoverish and destroy us cannot stand if we do. It's kind of basic mathematics. The more we learn about who we are and how we got here, the more we will mobilize. Now, this is also in particular for the black women, in particular, who have spent their lifetimes dedicated to nurturing everyone before themselves. We can and will do better for you. Now, what we've been doing is looking at the data, and we know that police somehow manage to de-escalate, disarm, and not kill white people every day. So what's going to happen is we are going to have equal rights and justice in our own country or we will restructure their function and ours. Now, 
Samir Rice's 14th birthday. So I don't want to hear any more about how far we've come when paid public servants can pull a drive-by and a 12-year-old playing alone in a park in broad daylight, killing him on television and then going home to make a sandwich. Tell Ricky a boy how it's so much better to live in 2012 than it is to live in 1612 or 1712. Tell that to Eric Garner. Tell that to Sandra Bland. Tell that to Dorian Hunt. Now the thing is, though, all of us in here getting money, that alone isn't going to stop this. All right? Now, dedicating our lives, dedicating our lives to getting money just to give it right back for someone's brand on our body. When we spent centuries praying with brands on our bodies, and now we pray to get paid for brands on our bodies. There has been no war that we have not fought and died on the front lines of. There has been no job we haven't done. There's no tax they haven't levied against us, and we've paid all of them. But freedom is somehow always conditional here. You're free, they keep telling us. But she, she, she would have been alive if she hadn't acted so free. Now, freedom is always coming in the hereafter. But, you know what though, the hereafter is a hustle. We want it now. And let's get, let's get a couple things straight, just a little side note. The burden of the brutalized is not to comfort the bystander. That's not our job. All right, stop with all that. If you have a critique for the resistance, for our resistance, then you better have an established record of critique of our oppression. If you have no interest, if you have no interest in equal rights for black people, then do not make suggestions to those who do. Sit down. in this country on credit for centuries, yo, and we're done watching and waiting while this invention called whiteness uses and abuses us, burying black people out of sight and out of mind while extracting our culture, our dollars, our entertainment like oil, black gold, ghettoizing and demeaning our creations, then stealing them, gentrifying our genius, and then trying us on like costumes before discarding our bodies like rhymes of strange fruit. The thing is, though, the thing is that just because we're magic doesn't mean we're not real. Thank you. That was an, a guy named Jesse Williams. Um... received an award and then used the opportunity to talk about the epidemic of murders by authorities, the official authorities, the police against young men of color, young people of color, and in some occasions, you know, poor whites. Uh, police shot and killed a young man, a young white man in uh, it was Nebraska. And the reporter who went out to report on it was an African-American woman. And 
She started reporting, and the boy's mother, a white woman now, started running at her and saying, you goddamn nigger, get out of here. Come on, get out. You've got no right to be here. Yes, they shot my son. A white police had shot her son. Instead of making common cause with people whose young men are uh, the same thing is happening to their young men, this woman um, pulled out the race card. In other words, it was more important to tell this young lady, this reporter, to get out. And the reporter was passive about it. She did say, don't you ever, don't ever say, call me that, call me nigger, but so that was that was the situation. Okay, let's listen to the Win Week in Review now. We're all about labor here, and we're all about work and working conditions. Win Week in Review. Workers Independent News Week in Review. I'm Doug Cunningham. About a 1,000 members of Unite Here Local 54 began a strike against Trump Taj Mahal Casino in Atlantic City early Friday. Agreements were reached at four of the five union casinos holding labor talks, but Trump Taj Mahal failed to reach an agreement with its workers. The casino took away health care and pension benefits when it went through bankruptcy, but now it's profitable and the workers want a fair deal. UPS pilots have reached a tentative deal on a new labor contract. The Independent Pilots Association says after ratification by the 2,600 UPS pilots, that new deal will take effect September 1st. It's a five-year contract. The tentative agreement was approved unanimously by the IPA Executive Board and the union's negotiating committee. IPA's Brian Godet says details of the agreement are going out to the pilots so they can vote on whether to accept the deal in August. After five years, we're really glad to have a tentative agreement. Our entire uh, five-pilot executive board has uh, endorsed this deal, as has our three-pilot uh, negotiating committee. So we're really excited to get this out to our members. If they don't work for working people, we will mobilize to defeat them. AFL-CIO President Rich Trumka on U.S. global trade deals. He was speaking at the AFL-CIO's global trade conference at the Labor Federation's Washington, D.C. headquarters Tuesday. Trumka and the labor movement are not against trade. They just want trade deals and trade policies that benefit working people instead of tearing down our wages and shipping our good jobs overseas. We need a different trade model, not crumbs off the table of big corporations who are the only winners in the failed NAFTA model. The TPP must be renegotiated or scrapped entirely. A few hundred people took part in a vigil outside of the Mexican consulate in Los Angeles to honor people killed and injured in labor protest clashes with police in southern Mexico. Organizers of the rally are calling on the Mexican government to stop its repression of the teachers' union and cease efforts to privatize education. Ernesto Arce has more from Los Angeles. 
Los Angeles activists held a solidarity vigil for victims of a teacher's union strike in Oaxaca, Mexico. They say educators from rural low-income towns south of the border fear for their lives, especially after the most recent carnage. Gladys del Puerto is a spokesperson for the Latin American Coalition for Ayotzinapa. Lo que sucede es que la gente está saliendo a protestar, pero el gobierno los está reprimiendo. So people are going out to protest, but the government is repressing them. Workers Independent News puts workers and their unions on the national radio news airwaves every day. To help keep labor's voice on the air, go to laborradio.org. Workers Independent News provided by Diversified Media Enterprises. I'm Doug Cunningham. One evening as the sun went down and the jungle fires were burning, down the track came a hobo hiking. He said, boys, I'm not turning. I'm heading for a land that's far away Beside that crystal fountain I'll see you all this coming fall In the big rock candy mountains In the big rock candy mountains It's a land that's fair and bright The handouts grow on bushes And you sleep out every night The boxcars all are empty The sun shines every day I'm bound to go where there ain't no snow, where the sleet don't fall and the wind don't blow, in the big rock candy mountains, oh, the buzzing of the bees in the cigarette trees, by the soda water fountain, by the lemonade springs where the bluebird sings, in the big rock candy mountains. In the big rock candy mountains, you never change your socks, Little streams of alcohol come trickling down the rocks. Oh, the shacks all have to tip their hats. The railroad bulls are blind. There's a lake of stew and ginger ale too. You can paddle all around it in a big canoe in the big rock candy mountains. Oh, the buzzing of the bees in the cigarette trees by the soda water fountain. By the lemonade springs where the bluebird sings In the big rock candy mountains In the big rock candy mountains The cops have wooden legs The bulldogs all have rubber teeth And the hens lay soft-boiled eggs The boxcars all are empty And the sun shines every day I'm bound to go where there ain't no snow, where the sleet don't fall and the wind don't blow, in the big rock candy mountains, oh, the buzzing of the bees in the cigarette trees, by the soda water fountain, by the lemonade springs where the bluebird sings, in the big rock candy mountains. In the big rock candy mountains, the jails are made of tin, You can slip right out again as soon as they put you in. There ain't no short-handled shovels, no axes, saws, nor picks. I'm bound to stay where you sleep all day, where they hung the jerk that invented work in the big rock candy mountain. Oh, the buzzing of the bees in the cigarette trees by the soda water fountain. By the lemonade springs where the bluebird sings in the big rock candy mountain. A long-haired preachers come out every night. I try to tell you what's wrong and what's right. 
But when asked about something to eat, uh, they will answer in voices so sweet. You will eat, you will eat by and by in that glorious land in the sky, way up high, working free, live on hay. Uh, you get by in the sky when you die, that's the lie. The starvation army they play. They shout and they clap and they pray uh, When they got all your coins on the drum uh, They will tell you when you're on the bomb You will eat, you will eat by and by In that glorious land in the sky Way up high, work and pray uh, Live on hay uh, You'll get by in the sky when you die That's a lie, holy rollers Jumpers come out and they roll and they jump and they shout. I give your money to Jesus, they say, and you lead on that glorious day. You will eat, you eat by and by in that glorious land in the sky. Where I work and pray, I live on hay. You get by in the sky when you die. Folks of all countries unite Side by side we for freedom will fight When this world and its wealth we have gained After the crackers will sing this refrain You will eat, you eat by and by When you learn how to cook and how to fry Chop some wood, do you good Utah Phillips there with Joe Hill's The Preacher and the Slave, famous song of the IWW, the Wobblies, who at one time were very strong labor organization, probably the strongest nationwide union that the United States ever saw. The Wobblies were did not limit themselves to one trade or or <clears throat> one part of the economy. The Wobblies were all over. They organized cowboys and bindle stamps, the, the hobos of the time. They organized uh, lumberjacks. <clears throat> they wrote poems. They drew pictures. See if we have time for Mr. Block today. But uh, I want to I want to play our World Labor News, Radio Labor, and keep in mind what American unions are talking about these trade agreements. <clears throat> um, Hillary is for the trade agreements. Right, uh, Trump, of course, is acting as if he's um, skeptical of them, but of course for the wrong reasons. Trump doesn't care about working people, what it does to working people, the jobs it takes away. Trump is worried about his posture, 
Oh, these deals. We're going to have to look these deals over very carefully. As if it's all a business deal. And there are a lot of people who say that now. That what we need is someone from the business sector. <laughs> okay, the United States is a business, right? I mean, they might as well come out and say it. Um, let's listen to this guy, Chuck D. Um, just recently, Tom Morello of the uh, Rage Against the Machine, more or less a punk band, I guess they'd be considered allied with um, two really well-known rappers hip-hop artists Chuck D and Be Real Chuck D of course is from uh, a hip-hop group called Public Enemy with their famous hit, Fight the Power. And this is what Chuck D is talking about, about a business and how business is taking over uh, hip-hop. See if we can get him here. Rolling around on a and we got a $60,000 piece of ice to make you dizzy around his neck. Yeah. And they say, look, we'll take the ice off your neck. Go ahead, do your thing. No, I'll still wear it. He loses it in the water. 25 people go looking for it. And he said, well, fuck it. So, you know, what does that say, the average cat that's looking at the video in Dallas? Oh, he don't mind missing that? When Cat come to Dallas, he gonna need 25 bodyguards. Right now, cats are between the two. And I don't blame the artists. How the hell are you going to be between the public and also the NYPD? Mm. One cat calls giving back to the community, coming up out of the project, throwing dollar bills up in the air to the kids. It's just that my thing is I never blame the artists because right now they're treated as as cattle, like mindless children anyway. With, they, might, they have no developmental skills because nobody's saying once you have the contract, we can't school you on life management? You give a fool a million dollars, what do you got? A fool with a million dollars. But you got these cats out here, executives, once they sign them, they know they could get paid more, they could go to fucking Bel Air or their little fucking penthouse, and they got nothing to do with say, yo, yo, that young cat we signed is wild, son. Yo, he's, he's wild. You signed that motherfucker, didn't you? So my bottom line, right, and, and like I said, you know, a lot of people are asking me, let me not take much of your time, I'm going to be here 48 hours like the movie. You know, Russell asked me, I said, you know, this is something that's about all of us because, look, many of y'all are getting like 35. I've been seeing y'all since, some of y'all since you're 22, now you're 36, and you're getting older, and now there's some concern. I said, the bottom line. <laughs> the bottom line. Black people across the country, some of y'all might not know this, but life to them is images and perception. Black folks, if you don't put it on BT, WB, UPN, or Hot 97, or maybe a little bit BLS and KISS, shit, you can say, look, we bomb in New York Thursday. Cats be like, yo, what's up Friday? 
Y'all, you know, really, I'm going to tell you this, this point. That, look, first of all, intelligence will save your ass anyway. Me and, and Dr. West have spoken, you know, he allowed me to come to Harvard. I've been speaking in this, on this subject for 14 years at a co collegiate level to look at 350 white kids taking notes while black kids might want to go to that frat party. But understand this. Images control perception. Your people, perception is everything. You have to study Nazi propaganda to understand what's going on with the transmission of media images. You have to know the fact of advertising and subliminal seduction. It ain't nothing new. You have to understand there's a guy called Noam Chomsky that influenced me to make Don't Believe the Hype. You got to understand when they have a revolution in the country everywhere around the world, what's the first place they fucking attack? They take over the television station and the radio station. If, look, it's called a coup. They start there. Look, if Hot 97 was to die tomorrow, some crackers that called themselves the home of hip-hop wasn't even at KRS-One Hip-Hop Appreciation Week. Well, yeah, the home of hip-hop. Who said? Because you motherfuckers finance that shit? If they was to die tomorrow, I'm sorry, Stevens is my man, BT's owned by Viacom, that means it's, it's that much more for me to get up in their ass. Absolutely, yes. They was to stop tomorrow? That's radio and TV. UPN and WB decided to go to fucking XFL shit <laughs> like they did. You had to wonder whether we'd be better or worse. Talib all of a sudden got like equal platform. I'm saying all we're asking for is fair trade. Cats like he, The Roots, Common. We're not saying they're better than whatever. We're saying equal platform, the yin and the yang. In martial arts and life, everything, everything is balanced. We're balanced people. But when you look at the balanced people, people are not even, you don't even understand the effect. The nation of Islam is here, not as a poetic, oh man, wow, symbolic thing. These cats is in the cut. My guys, Jay, Brother James and Brother uh, John, they their security in the school systems in Baltimore. What y'all really need, y'all really need to have this in the middle of a school system. Yo, I just spoke at Bed-Stuy, fifth grade classroom. They bananas. They, they, the number one question, and the reason that a lot of artists, they, they're kind of scared, because they don't even know how to answer young kids. Because young kids are really quick. They're quick to ask, ask them about contradiction. And if an older cat can't answer, he's like, yo, I can't even deal with them. Yo, really, really, I, I mean, they get twisted like that. I mean, fifth grade classroom, I said, who do you like? They said, of course, they're going to name all the artists they see in here. What do you feel? What do you like from them? Well, I like how they dress or whatnot. What do you get out of them? Nothing. Unanimously, they said nothing. All right, cool. Because I believe that in music, you can either help the people, hurt the people, or be neutral. It's cool to be neutral and make, you know, make people shake that whatever. It's cool to do that. I mean, you go down to the Caribbean, they make you shake your ass. To balance that out, maybe that artist can't do that. Somebody else got to get equal equal time. Talib got to get equal time without a company having to spend three million dollars and giving it to BET and the radio station. We got motherfucking Crayola going on, y'all. Last point before I step out and get some water. I'm telling y'all what's going down. It's antitrust, and I'm telling Hillary right here. It's antitrust and collusion. 
Jermaine can't start his independent company by himself. He got to hook up with one of the white boys. Simple as that. It's like it's antitrust, meaning the startup entrepreneur cannot start up a record company, cannot get in the radio game, and damn sure can't get in TV. So you got to get one of the boys. I'm saying, okay, this is America. You get with somebody. Does that mean that you smash out? The beginning of business. That's why these kids are talking about, son, I can't get put on because I can't build my shit. They in cities like St. Louis, they might start a record company, can't get played on the St. Louis station. Why? Because all the corporations are all in collusion with each other. It's a goddamn shame. Nobody is dealing with the fabric of black America or even the fabric of some of these white kids. Tired of having people come up to me like Tom and Newsweek. But what do you think about white kids and Columbine and stuff like that? Been going on in the black community for the last 20 years. So it floats to the top because this is cultural exchange. Culture is supposed to be exchanged. Human beings are supposed to share culture. That's what it's about. But when the companies narrow cast us to be one dimensional, what do you think white kids gonna do? They're going to want to pick up and want to take it from us, and they're getting just this much, and no wonder they're going to fucking act buck. Remember this as I leave? Tupac sold 5 million records when he was living. 22 million after he's dead. Now, cats ain't saying they're trying to really die, but, you know, really, if they could get close to a line, because when it comes down to us, bad news is the only news. That's it. Thank you. Chuck D there talking about, well, a lot of things, talking about how the work of young black artists is either ignored or promoted by a white uh, power structure within the recording industry and how artists get treated. Um by recording companies and why only violent hip-hop is uh, pushed on the public. This image of black men as violent drug addicts is really promoted by who gets money, right? Who has the money? And He's saying independence can't get played. So I want to talk about this a little bit more. Prophets of Rage is a new group by Chuck D, the guy who just talked, and Tom Morello and a couple of other people. See if we can get them on where everybody can hear it. This is uh, Tom Morello.
Okay, prophets of rage, or our little hiatus there. We're not a super group, says Tom Marilla. We're an elite task force of revolutionary musicians determined to confront this mountain of election year bullshit and confront it head on with Marshall Stack's blazon. He's describing Prophets of Rage, a new band that brings together members of the guitarist's old band, Rage Against the Machine, with two of the group's favorite rappers, Public Enemy's Chuck D and Cypress Hill's Be Real. Fans first learned about Prophets of Rage when mysterious posters started popping up around Los Angeles. An account down clock was posted on Rage Against the Machine's Twitter account. Some fans wrongly assumed Rage Against the Machine would be reforming for the first time since a one-off show in 2011. But even without Zach the Roach, the group will be playing classics like Bulls on Parade and Killing in the Name, along with tunes by Public Enemy and Cypress. And here's some rage against the machines. Yeah, you know I'm gonna catch ya. Laddie. 
Okay, that was uh, Rage Against the Machine. And um, <clears throat> what we're talking about is the uh, uh, Chuck D. And Be Real joining uh, the Rage Against the Machine, a well-known punk group, always very political. And we'll be playing some more of their things as the weeks go on. It's always good to discover a new combination of people. Labor and Love here. It's about 10 minutes before 11 on uh, July the 2nd, 2001. And here on Labor and Love, we're all about the labor movement. Commentary, opinion, news about working people all over the world. Let's listen now to Radio Labor. This is a report about global labor actions. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on July 1st, 2016. I'm Mark Boulanger. In the report this week, the UK's largest union blames the European Union's right-wing austerity programs for Britain's plans to leave the EU. An increase in the world's millionaires illustrates the rise in global wealth inequality. A global union fights for living wages for garment workers. And the Labour Start report about union events around the world. This is Radio Labour. In the United Kingdom, unions are reacting to a referendum approving Britain's exit from the European Union by demanding protection for workers. The Trades Union Congress has called for an action plan to minimize the effect on working people. Meanwhile, the leader of the country's largest union is reminding people that at the heart of the rejection is the right-wing austerity measures implemented by the EU. Len McCluskey is the General Secretary of Unite, the union, which represents some 1.4 million members. He spoke this week to a convention of the Teamsters, one of the largest and most powerful unions in the United States. You will, I'm sure, all have been following the referendum debates and subsequent decision by the United Kingdom to leave the European Union. That outcome has shocked many, but it didn't shock me. Unite has been at the vanguard, fighting against, for over a decade, the worst effects of the neoliberal European project, fighting, fighting its embrace of austerity economics and the abandonment of young people across the continent of Europe, whilst it did nothing to put the right, the criminal destruction of Western economies by the bankers and the financial elite. We challenge the European Union to make changes, to make further progress on social and employment protections, and to make serious changes to its policy on the free movement of labour. But it failed to listen. And so the British people have spoken, and the United Kingdom will move forward as an independent nation. 
That will present its own challenges, not least with Scotland seeking independence once more from a United Kingdom and the likelihood of a Conservative right-wing government in resurgence, and a Labour Party, my party, at the moment in disarray. Colleagues, you can be assured of one thing. We will continue to work closely with our brothers and sisters in European trade unions to build resistance to the damaging austerity that ravishes parts of our continent and to continue to fight for an alternative Europe. Sisters and brothers, my experience tells me that when working people reach out across nations and join hands, and reach out across oceans and join hands, then a better world is possible. Victory to the Teamsters, victory to the workers. Thanks very much for listening. The number of millionaires in the world is increasing while many people are stuck in abject poverty or low-paying jobs without access to collective bargaining. Radio Labour's senior correspondent Seamarie Ainsborough reports. International labour organisations are pointing to a recently released report which shows that global wealth inequality is increasing dramatically. The World Wealth Report, produced by the multinational technology corporation Capgemin, shows that there are now 15 million millionaires in the world, an increase of 4 million in the past five years. Meanwhile, 700 million people are living in extreme poverty on less than a dollar a day. The Fight Inequality Alliance is using the report to call for campaigns to fight inequality nationally and globally. The alliance consists of organizations such as Greenpeace, Oxfam, and the International Trade Union Confederation. The ITUC is the organization which represents national labor centers at the world level. Jenny Ricks of the Alliance told the media that in 2015, the richest people in the world owned about $60 trillion, which is more than 150 times the size of all the world's poorest economies combined. She said that this inequality was a symptom of an unjust and unfair economic system which allows the rich to get richer at the expense of the poor. Sharon Burrow, the General Secretary of the ITUC, said that while global GDP has increased three times over since 1980, Average wages have not increased at all. She said the extent of the inequality in the world shows that the economic model supported by corporations and many governments is broken. She called on governments to tackle inequality by legislating minimum wages that people can live on, strengthen collective bargaining, and ensure respect for labour rights. This is Seamarie Ainsborough reporting for Radio Labour. The Global Union Federation, which represents garment workers, has embarked on a new program to win a living wage for the workers. The Federation, Industrial, is working with clothing brands to encourage collective bargaining and respect for workers' rights across whole sectors instead of individual factories. The program is called ACT and is aimed at garment workers because they are amongst the lowest paid in the world. In Bangladesh, for example, garment workers earn, on average, about $68 a month. Unions say that the wages need to increase to at least $120 a month so the workers can adequately support themselves and their families. 
Jenny Holdcroft is the policy director at Industrial. She was interviewed by Rosie Hurst, who asked Ms. Holdcroft to explain Industrial's ACT program for garment workers. We're working with a group of leading brands who've signed a memorandum of understanding with us to really look at what are the driving factors behind the lack of living wages for garment workers. Why are you working with brands on this? We looked at why individual brand efforts and individual factory efforts were not actually leading to living wages. And what we found is that this is a structural issue. It's not that something that can be solved on a factory by factory basis or a brand by brand basis. What we need to do is bring all of the industry together and say, how can we drive up wages across the board? Now here with his report about union events around the world is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Here's a small sample of the more than 2,200 stories our volunteers collected in the last week. Our top stories section included links to news about the mass hunger strike by 20,000 Kenyan tea plantation workers, how British unions are inserting themselves into the upheavals within that country's Labour Party, and hopes for an end to the regular assassination of trade union activists now that Colombia's civil war is coming to an end. We had news of strikes and lockouts in dozens of countries. Here are just a few highlights. Education workers in Namibia continued their strike over wage irregularities and a lack of instructional materials. Healthcare workers in Nigeria continued their wage dispute, as did bank workers in the same country. Indian electricity workers walked over a plan to outsource their work. The government of Bolivia declared a garment worker strike over a factory closure illegal. The Argentinian oil industry came to a halt as a walkout over government austerity policies and their effects on working class purchasing power began. Workers at a factory in Namibia occupied their workplace in a protest over management's treatment of them and the dismissal of a number of their co-workers. And in Mexico, striking teachers looking to end changes to the education system blocked major highways. Our top working women's stories included coverage of the problems with efforts to generate economic growth using export industries that depend on the exploitation of women, the increase in the number of British women without a workplace pension, and widespread allegations of harassment and abuse made by women firefighters in Canada. Our health and safety newswire carried stories to hundreds of union websites around the world about the legal challenges faced by anti-bullying activists in Australia, the impact on airport workers of the bombing of Istanbul's airport, and why doctors who treat occupational injuries and disease are so opposed to the proposed changes to the French labor laws. Currently, Labor Start is running six online actions. Take just a few seconds out of your day and join thousands of trade unionists around the world in helping workers make their lives better, or even help save those lives. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. And that's it. International labor news you can use. I'm Mark Boulanger. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. Back in the not-so-distant past, America invented the Internet. Now, our Internet...
skip the ad there. 106.7 K Rock is K R O Q. This is the Kevin Bean Show at great. seven o'clock. You have to be down at the whiskey today at 10 a.m. to get a wristband. Yeah. Dude, overwhelmed with epicness. This is the best way I could have started my day. Best f***ing 20 bucks I've ever spent. Lauren. Mark Alford, how are you? Hey, man. John. Lauren. Mark Alford, how are you, man? Tom, this thing, this band, this supergroup is your idea, basically, right? Now, I might have made the first call to Chuck, but the times demand a band like Prophets of Rage to rise. What we want to try to present, right, with Prophets of Rage is songs, they're timeless. It's about, they're even beyond us as individuals. And um, there's an atmosphere that we want to confront. Yeah, so why this, why now? Well, our nation and the world is on the brink of in absolute ins electoral insanity at home, environmental insanity around the globe. There's no music that speaks to what's going on right now. Nothing with substance. All right, what is, what is the State of the Union? Martin Luther King famously said, there's no hotter place in hell than for people who remain neutral in times of moral conflict. This is a time of moral conflict. And so we are escaping the hot pit of hell by bringing some rock and roll hip hop fury. the machine played in Los Angeles, we outgrew Trump, Sanders, and Clinton by a margin of three to one. So the general electorate, I think, is ready for our message. So you, you got, got a better hat than Trump does. It's a pretty strong hat. <laughs> it's, it's a strong hat. So you guys have three big catalogs to draw from here, right? You got the Rage catalog, the PE catalog, and the Cypress catalog, right? You guys basically do a bunch of that stuff. You've also done some original music for this group, right? We have a, a song that is... Uh, of the time and for the time called The Party's Over. And I'll let the co-lyricists of that song discuss subject matter. I think, um, you know, the message conveys that, you know, we're, we're done with the, the lies and that, that are told to us for our votes. You know, the party's over. You know, we're standing up and we're, we're making our voices known. And the two-party system is been over a long time ago. So we have to come up with something that looks forward into the 21st century that makes sense to these new generations that have come into the voting marketplace. Do you see a meaningful difference between the Democratic and Republican Party? Not really. I've never have. Sanders, like, why is this this feel impressive? You've said this is like an unprecedented yeah. moment in history. Yeah, well, it, it, it is an unprecedented moment in history, and and the, one of the things that has irked me greatly is the way that. Um, the media has talked about both the Trump campaign and the Sanders campaign as both of them are raging against the machine. Well, we're going to set that record straight once and for all, what it really means to rage against the machine. I think that both those campaigns have tapped into something very, very real, is that people right, left, and center believe that the system as it currently stands does not serve their needs. But what they're being offered up through the tiny funnel of the electoral process is a racist demagogue on the one hand and a, you know, and a 
great sort of you know a dreamer on the other hand, and in the middle is the lesser of three evils. None of those choices are good enough for. That'd us. be Hillary Clinton, the one in the middle. Yeah, sure. There needs to be an alternate voice, one that's unfiltered, uncompromising, and stands unapologetically with the people. What are you doing in July? Well, there's a thing called the Republican National Convention in July, and that'll be a perfect place for a band like Prophets of Rage to cause a ruckus, and we will be there on the streets, in the fields, and in the concert. So you have a venue in Cleveland, right? We have a venue, and there may be venues that will not, that will be sort of spontaneous so, venues. So it's you, hard to say. So you guys We're not, like, this is the kind of thing you don't broadcast to the local authorities <laughs> prior, to, prior to arrival. <laughs> but it's not, this is not a tentative thing. You guys are going to be there. We're going to see you. We are going to see you in Cleveland. We'll be rocking furiously in and around the RNC. Any chance we'll see you in Philadelphia? Uh, so anything's possible. Anything's possible. Right now, we're, we're figuring it out. But, uh, yeah. So the convention's four days. At the end of the four days, if you have raged your most effectively, what will have happened? Timmy C. will have gotten the nomination. Let's <laughs> <laughs> hear well, a little bit of your acceptance speech. Great right, right. ass whoop. <laughs> My view is that, that progressive, radical, or revolutionary change always comes from below, not from above. So even if you, you know, even if you stake all of your your hopes for yourself and your family on hope, well, sometimes that doesn't work out. You know, if you stake them on sort of this this xenophobic, fear-based racism, that's not going to work out either. The underlying problems are systemic. The songs that we've been writing about for decades attack the system, not the individual candidates, and how people change the world. It starts around people's kitchen tables. It starts in their classrooms, it starts wherever people gather to talk about making a world that we want to one day see. And here's the thing, the songs travel the world. How would you like your country to be looked at from the outside looking in? Because these songs and this group is going to be worldwide and we're on wavelength with the rest of the planet looking inward. Something's got to be said and something's got to be done. What better thing than music? Okay, that was the uh, uh, article, I guess, <clears throat> about Prophets of Rage, a new hip-hop slash rock group with uh, Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine and some, other, some others from that group, along with rapper Chucky Chuck D., the very well-known hip-hop artist whose group Public Enemy had uh, a seminal hit called Fight the Power and Be Real who's uh, from Los Angeles who's a Chicano rapper um, best known for his songs about the legalization of marijuana um, a big, big hitter in the gangster rap world. So 
So check them out when you get the chance. Go online. Some of their work from their concerts is online. I pity the poor immigrant. Oh, whose vision is 
Taj Mahal there, interrupted. Um, get him back. I pity the poor immigrant, of course. Bob Dylan's song about uh, white people. I pity the poor immigrant. Dylan's I Pity the Poor Immigrant, a couple of their labor songs, and we're going to talk about probably <clears throat> the best-known labor action, the general strike in San Francisco in the first weeks of July in 1934. Okay, let's listen up for that. This is from... A 10-part, actually now 11-part, history of the California labor movement 
by Fred Glass, of course, among others, but it's his work. Golden Land's Working Hands, a documentary of the California labor movement. We'll have some more about Fred Glass in a little bit, but here, this, this is chapter five, talking about labor uh, militancy in the 1930s and specifically the San Francisco general strike. Seeks the primary good of the greater number. It is true that the toes of some people are being stepped on and are going to be stepped on. But these toes belong to the comparative few who seek to retain or to gain position or riches or both by some shortcut that is harmful to the greater good. When President Franklin Delano Roosevelt signs several important pieces of legislation in the 1930s, he creates the laws he calls the New Deal, the National Recovery Act, National Labor Relations Act, the Social Security Act, and the Fair Labor Standards Act. The New Deal is a response to the severe conditions of the Great Depression, when more than 25% of the workforce is unemployed, and it seems to many as if capitalism is collapsing. Once I built a railroad, made it run, made it race against time. Once I built a railroad, now it's done. Brother, can you spare a dime? Once I built a tower to the sun, brick and rivet and lime. Once I built a tower, now it's done. Brother, can you spare a dime? These laws established for the first time the legitimacy of unions and workers' rights nationally and create minimum standards for employment such as the 40-hour week and restrictions on child labor. This is what today we call the social safety net. Steve's unemployment check is not as big as the wage he used to get, but it goes a long way toward buying groceries and paying rent. It helps keep his family going, while the employment office helps Steve find a job. Other New Deal programs put people to work building roads, parks, national forests, government buildings, and even making art in public spaces. Socialists and communists had said for years that the country needed laws and programs like these, but until the Depression, such ideas were considered too radical. Now, novelist Upton Sinclair sees an opportunity to bring these notions into the mainstream. He drops his longtime Socialist Party affiliation. The California Democratic Party nominates him its candidate for governor. His 1934 campaign calls for production for use and turning over idle factories and land to working people. And they will be able to produce great quantities of wealth and to make comfort and plenty for themselves. We think that this is the true American plan. We say that it represents California's share of the New Deal. Sinclair wins widespread labor support, but loses the election when Hollywood movie studios force all the theaters in California to show fake newsreels supposedly showing tramps flocking into the state in expectation of a Sinclair victory. 
presented as documentary films, these are actually entirely scripted and acted, including this interview. I'm going to vote for Upton St. Clair. Will you tell us why? Upton St. Clair is the author of the Russian government, and it worked out very well there, and I think it should do here. The New Deal is also responding to the growing number of demonstrations and strikes by working people often organized by left-wing groups. Some of these events, by their size and militancy, seem to verge on revolution. After 15 years of the open shop on the San Francisco waterfront, dock workers are sick of shape-ups, of bribing bosses to get work, and of making 75 cents an hour. When a group of rank-and-file longshoremen, radical activists, start up a newsletter agitating for change, they find a receptive audience. Section 7A of the National Recovery Act allows workers to join unions. Thousands of West Coast longshoremen stream into the International Longshoremen's Association, or ILA. They demand a union-run hiring hall, a 25 cent per hour raise, and a 30-hour week so that work could be shared equally. When the employers reject these ideas, 12,000 longshoremen strike the West Coast on May 9, 1934. The public is generally sympathetic. Many students come out to demonstrate their support. Sailors and other maritime workers join the strike. They want their own changes to deal with working 14 to 16 hour days, rotten food, and living quarters on ships Andrew Furiouset describes as bigger than a coffin, but smaller than a grave. They also want an end to hiring through employer-run think halls. All the unions agree no one returns to work until everyone gets what they need. With 40,000 on strike, this is the largest maritime job action in U.S. history. An immigrant Australian longshoreman named Harry Bridges emerges from the ranks as head of the strike committee. Articulate, a brilliant strategist, Harry insists any settlement must be voted on by all members of the union. National ILA President Joe Ryan flies out from the east. Conservative and corrupt, Ryan feels more comfortable with the bosses than with these new militant West Coast unionists. He signs two agreements with employers. Neither contains any of the strikers' demands. Ryan attempts to explain at a meeting of thousands of San Francisco longshoremen. Unaccustomed to democratic unionism, he is startled when they overwhelmingly reject his settlements. Rank-and-file longshoreman Pirate Larson leaps on stage. This guy's a fink, and he's trying to make finks out of us. Let's throw him out. As he leaves, Ryan warns. Bridges does not want this strike settled. My firm belief is that he is acting for the communists. The employers open the ports with a massive show of force. They are determined to crush the maritime workers' strike. The bosses hire a thousand strike breakers in San Francisco alone, including hundreds of black workers who are barred from the union. This tactic is neutralized when the union, breaking with its racist past, approaches African-American longshoremen and asks them to join the union and the strike. Many do. But on July 5th, other weapons are turned on the strikers. One witness reports, Struggling knots of longshoremen, closely pressed by officers mounted and on foot, swarmed everywhere. The air was filled with blinding gas, the howl of the sirens, the low boom of the gas guns, the crack of pistol fire the whine of the bullets, the shouts and curses of sweating men. Everywhere was a rhythmical waving of arms, like trees in the wind, swinging clubs, swinging fists, hurling rocks, hurling bombs. 
As the police moved from one group to the next, men lay bloody, unconscious, or in convulsions. In the gutters. On the sidewalks. In the streets. Around on Madison Street, a plainclothes man dismounted from a radio car, waved his shotgun nervously at the shouting pickets who scattered. I saw nothing thrown at him. Suddenly, he fired up and down the street, and two men fell in a pool of gore, one evidently dead, the other half attempting to rise, but weakening fast. Longshoreman Howard Sperry is dead. A block away, so is cook Nick Bordeaux, who is volunteering in the strike kitchen. Not one smile in the endless blocks of marching men. Crowds on the sidewalk, for the most part, stood with heads erect and hats removed. Others watched the procession with fear and alarm. Here and there, well-dressed businessmen from Montgomery Street stood amazed and impressed, but with their hats still on their heads. Sharp voices shut out of the line of march. Take off your hat. The tone of voice was extraordinary. The reaction was immediate. With quick, nervous gestures, the businessmen obeyed. As the last marcher broke ranks, the certainty of a general strike, which up to this time had appeared to many to be a visionary dream of a small group of the most radical workers, became for the first time a practical and realizable objective. Against the advice of San Francisco Labor Council officers Edward Vandeleur and Mike Casey, 64 unions vote to strike. Seeing the writing on the wall, even the conservative council officers vote for a general strike. And then, strikers run the city. Workplaces are shut tight. With the exception of emergency deliveries allowed by the general strike leadership, virtually no work takes place. Laboring men appeared on the streets in their Sunday clothes, shiny celluloid union buttons glistening on every lapel. Common social barriers were swept away in the spirit of the occasion. Strangers addressed each other warmly as friends. Then it was the employer's turn to counterattack. City government and the media whip up public hysteria. An army of communists is marching on San Francisco. The strikers are going to starve the city into submission. In this atmosphere, hundreds are arrested. and so-called radical hangouts are wrecked in a massive effort to eliminate the imaginary alien red menace. After four days, Labor Council conservatives, over the angry objections of the maritime unions, call off the general strike. To you, Mr. Vandalore, as president of the San Francisco Labor Council and chairman of the general strike committee, and to your associates, I offer my congratulations upon your decision and the part it has played in bringing to an end the general strike in San Francisco. 
The inconclusive use of their biggest weapon convinces most longshoremen and many seamen the time has come to compromise. Longshoremen vote to submit all issues to federal arbitration and to end the strike. The sailors are unhappy, but know they now have no choice but to wait for arbitration too. But before going back, old Andrew Furioseth has the last word. He has his members build a bonfire to burn their think books. At work, the bosses awaken to a different world. Workers refuse to labor alongside strike breakers. Unsafe working conditions and speed up are rejected. The workers enforce their own new rules with direct action. When problems arise, they vote and strike quickly on dock after dock and ship after ship. Shape up and fin call are gone, replaced by union run hiring halls. Workers govern their organization through rank and file union democracy. Sailors Union leader Harry Lundeberg and longshoreman Harry Bridges bring together a powerful federation of maritime unions. The owners are furious, but maritime workers have learned how to take care of themselves. The fear is gone. Industrial unionism is established on the West Coast, and it's radical. Okay, that was a portion of Fred Glass's 11-part <clears throat> series called Golden Land's Working Hands about the general strike in San Francisco. <clears throat> Pardon me. <clears throat> in 1934, pretty much at the same time, there was a violent general strike in Minneapolis, a Teamsters strike, which was organized by uh, Communist Party members of the Teamsters local. And they ran a successful strike. Most of what the Teamsters demanded was given them. People were killed. The governor was drawn in. I was always told that Governor Floyd Olson called out the National Guard to protect strikers, which wasn't the case. Olson did owe a lot to the labor movement in Minnesota, the Farm Labor Party, which had elected him. But he did call out the troops in order to protect both sides. That's what he said, to be a buffer zone. So to my mother, I guess that looked like he was protecting the strikers. But this was part of our uh, family legend. Um, Fred Glass, who produced this documentary, uh, came out, I think, at the end of the 1990s, um, has got a new workout. And this is something that, if you're at all interested in the labor movement, and you're at all interested in California history, either one or both. This is a must-buy for you. It's called From Mission to Microchip. And it's a very clear, concise, well-researched history of the labor movement in California. Kind of a companion book 
to Golden Land's working hands. And it's suitable for teachers, say, of uh, high school kids or uh, community college people. Because it's, his style is clear and concise, and he has a knack of being able to present uh, complicated issues in a clear and, and understandable way. From Mission to Microchip by Fred Glass just came out a week or two ago, I think. Um, and as an ironic twist to this whole story. Glass every year teaches a course at City College of San Francisco, History of the California Labor Movement, and he not only used the video in teaching this class, but he had the class work with him in the production of his written history. So he developed it out of this class and the class has been canceled. City College canceled the class. 26% of a budget cut. So, Glass's class is canceled. Although, if people sign up for it, call City College Labor and Community Studies Department under Bill Shields and tell him you're interested in taking that class at City College. Here's a little Joan Baez and carry that spirit from the 30s, that anger, that rage, that sense of, of rage at what's happening in our country and on the streets to working-class people, both institutionally and on the level of a gun, like Chairman Mao says, political power comes out of the power of a, out of the barrel of a gun. And that's ultimately what cops are doing when they shoot down young people of color. They're exercising their political power, and they get away with it. Okay, here's Joan Baez.
Bodies high at Austerlitz and Waterloo. Shovel them under and let me work. I'm the grass. I cover all. And pile them high at Gettysburg and pile them high at Ypres. Shovel them under and let me work. Two years, ten years. And the passengers ask the conductor, what place is this? Where are we now? I am the grass. Let me work. Okay, that was uh, <clears throat> Joan Baez singing... Um, Joan Baez singing uh, Joe Hill. And I always point out how wise it was of Joan Baez, who think on, I think on some level realized that um, the Woodstock audience, that's where it was at the Woodstock Festival. The Woodstock audience and that whole movement was a working class movement. And that where the rubber meets the road, where oppression happens is by through the work relations, 
first of all, that you feel like you have to show up at all at a job. And you have to turn your mind off for eight hours or longer and do someone else's work and put aside your own personal life and your existence. Recalling that this is time, this is your time on earth that you're spending, that you're giving to someone else so you have enough to live, live on. Okay, well, it's 11.42, and my buddy Scott Walker just came in to get ready to send you his show, Flat Black Plastic. But there's something, uh, Estadio Chile, this week, uh, Betancourt, a Chilean politician and military man was indicted for the murder of Victor Jara, one of the most famous uh, Latin American singers and political activists during the hideous slaughter that took place in the stadium in Santiago, Chile. Uh, here's Holly Near and Arlo Guthrie, Ronnie Gilbert, Pete Seeger, with their song Estadio Chile, the Chilean Stadium. September 11th. Your tax dollars and mine paid to overthrow the government down there. About 5,000 people were rounded up and put in a big stadium. It was a scene of horror. There were people being executed, tortured. Then the captain of the guards recognized Victor Hara. But this last poem that he wrote was smuggled out. And I'll just give you a literal translation. We are 5,000 here in this little part of the city. We are 5,000. How many more will we be in the whole city and the country, 10,000 hands which could seed the field, make run the factory, how much humanity with hunger, pain, panic and terror. There are six of us lost in space among the stars. One dead, one beaten, like I never believed a human could beings could be so beaten. The 
other four wanting to leave all the terror. One leaping into space, others beating their heads against the wall, all with their gazes fixed on death. Carry out their plans with precision. Blood is medals for them. Slaughter is the badge of heroism. Oh my God, was it for this you created the world? Was it for this? seven days of amazement and toil. The blood of Compañero Presidente is stronger than bombs, is stronger than machine guns. Oh, you song, you come out so badly. When I must sing the terror, what I see I never saw, what I felt and what I feel must come out. Ara brotar el momento, ara brotar el momento. If I told him. Okay, that was uh, Pete Seeger along with Holly Near, uh, Ronnie Gilbert, and that was Estadio Chile about Victor Hara's last poem, which was smuggled out from the stadium uh, where he was later tortured and murdered, as were thousands of others in a football stadium fittingly enough so this is the B I want to mention one more thing <clears throat> and we'll, we'll get into it more in depth next week the screwing of Puerto Rico Puerto Rico now has been placed in uh, receivership okay we'll talk more about that right now gotta go this is the Internacional, like Harry Raji. Regulars. Remember, a better world is possible.
impossible. All we have to do is stand up and demand. of swimming through a sea of podcasts. Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's Underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse, or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? <laughs> it's a cash cock, honey. <laughs> yeah. 
Want to go to Burning Man, but you don't have the right goggles, costume, or attitude? Visit 20 Mission Hive at 2415 Mission Street between 20th and 21st in the heart of the Mission District. Easily accessible by BART, this collective of unique artists and vendors has eclectic handmade clothing, leatherwork, artisan jewelry, antiques, crystals, and there's even an amazing florist. Whisper pirate ship to your 20 Mission Hive vendor for a special 10% discount on the coolest, most original items in San Francisco. That's 20 Mission Hive with eight vendors and like them on Facebook at 20 Mission Hive. 20 Mission Hive for awesome events and updates. The dictionary definition of the adjective eclectic is selecting or choosing from various sources. When Bay Area musician J.D. Buell brings you Morning Train Wednesday, 10 a.m. to noon on Mutiny Radio, that is exactly what he does. Select music from various sources to give you a unique listening experience. Rock, pop, jazz, bluegrass, gospel, funk, reggae, folk, blues, country and western, electronica, soul, disco, rhythm and blues, punk and post-punk. Come together with music from around the world with Buell's passionate and down-to-earth delivery. In an age of personal music delivery systems, J.D. Buell carries on the values of progressive FM radio when a listener could actually have a relationship with a programmer, someone who would create an eclectic musical environment where in both listener and host find fulfillment. The Morning Train with J.D. Buell, Wednesday, 10 to noon on mutinyradio.fm. Freeform radio for free minds. an underground space for an event? Look no further than mutinyradio.fm. Our 30-seat flexible space can accommodate your acoustic band, birthday party, comedy show, dance party, karaoke super fun, theater event, fundraiser. If you think it, we can do it. You run the door in promotion, we run the sound, space, and podcast. Rentals available Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10 at Mutiny Radio FM's performance space at 2781 21st Street in the Deep Mission at 21st in Florida. Contact Pam at pamsadai at hotmail.com for more options and booking dates. Incredible socialist prices so you can be creative in a free speech space without breaking the bank. That's Mutiny Radio Rentals every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10. Book your event now. Well, hey there, San Francisco. If you're looking for some delicious late-night food, I suggest you mosey on down to Bender's Bar. Inside, you can find Counter Offer, offering you amazing late-night food and snacks. Try the chicken biscuit. It's like your stomach's in a tasty tornado. They have exceptionally great daily ground sustainable burgers with sides of tater tots, grilled asparagus, and delicious zucchini. And creamy, delicious mac and cheese. You like tacos? They get them. And from the specials, very deep fried fish sandwich to a stoner burger with a donut bun. What are those crazy potheads going to come up with next? Go to the counter offer inside of Brenda's Bar at 800 South Van Ness Avenue. 
Francisco is located between 19th Street and 20th Street in the Mission District. Open seven nights a week from 5 to 10 p.m. or later. I'm off a son. be happier than 23 comics doing jokes for each other and at a radio listening audience puppets kittens unicorns porn maybe oh well stage time makes them happy and this super happy comedy open mic is open every friday from 6 to 8 p.m but you can also listen anytime by downloading the podcast at mutiny radio fm index at podcasts.pcrcollective.org so come live or listen later or to every happy hour mic Friday from 6 to 8 p.m. at Radio FL Mutiny Radio. I just fucked that up again. What the fuck is wrong with me? Yeah! Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants? Oh, shit. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to Joke Workshop, there's more than two peoples paying